Hello, everybody. Welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am your host, or co-host, I should say, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Scotty Hertz, other co-host. Yep. Adam, did you uh, survive Whamageddon this year? (laughs) What, What happens if you... Like, what's the danger of Whamageddon? Oh, I, th- I think those of us that can't stand Christmas music in general are <laughs> deeply threatened by it. And I I go to places early, very early, and I mean it's just it's blasting you. But somehow I somehow I made it. Tactical approach I think is required. So okay, well you've clearly put a lot more thought into this than I have. Uh, Although next year I think we just we we can play it as our song on this day, right? And then <laughs> I'm sure programming won't like it too much. But then you know we'll, we'll ruin everybody's. Yeah, but we're going to stick it to the man who's in charge of programming at the station. (laughs) (laughs) Can't tell us what to play. Anyway. Disruptors. (laughs) That's right, we are disruptors. Disruptors by conforming to what everybody else is doing. (laughs) (laughs) Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. And you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. Which this week will be Wealth MP Lloyd Longfield, who's going to talk about this very busy year up in Ottawa, all about carbon pricing, housing, the war in Gaza, and we're going to talk about all the work that Longfield wants to do before he retires at the next election. That's going to be at the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including Saskatchewan. Looks like there's more controversy around that pronoun law that they used, the notwithstanding clause, to pass. And we're going to see what's going on there. But first, Quebec, very special Christmas present for Scotty. Massive labor action. (laughs) Uh, Thrown four four unions on strike there, or four unions doing job actions. uh, They're doing like this kind of ongoing strike. Uh, But they've also started to throw around this word general strike. Um, In the new year, if there's no sign of progress with the... um, Quebec government, who um, this actually started around November the 6th. So there's four unions representing about 420,000 workers. Um, They have uh, called themselves the Common Front, um, but they are members of the uh, Centrale des Syndicats du Québec, the Confédération des Syndicats Nationaux, the Alani du Personnel Professionnel et Technique de la Santé et des Services Sociaux, and the Federation des Travailleurs and Travailleuses du Québec. Uh, hopefully, uh, we did not just lose our CRTC license because <laughs> of that French butchery. But um, they re- another way of saying that is they represent healthcare workers, teachers, um, people who work in social services. So not people you don't want to be on strike a lot, uh, especially during the holidays. No, definitely not. And I, yeah, uh, trade beyond the pronunciations there because Quebec labor is very acronym heavy. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not just. Uh, it's and not if just, you stick oh, with I, just. <laughs> If you stick with just the initials, it, it yeah. gets really confusing, right? So Yeah. I was going to say, it's not just Opsu and QP. <laughs> so thankfully, they came up with the common front, so we don't necessarily have to worry about it too much. That's yeah, right. so <clears throat> common front kind of harkens back to 
oh, about 50 years ago in Quebec, the original labor coming together movement there. And I, and I've said this before, people know this, that if there's any province that does uh, a strike well mm -hmm. in terms of a uh, common front, Quebec definitely wins. They, they just, they know how to do it. And this is how you do it. They're coming together. At, so last week there was a strike with, and there's also another group of other, uh, pro-secondary workers are not sorry primary and secondary workers of the fae right so at one point there was half a million it's the largest strike canada's ever seen uh you wouldn't know that from the media necessarily mm -hmm. there's always a little bit like oh yeah they're upset in quebec again whatever but the i mean the, the issues are the same as they have been in ontario as they have been in lots of places in well let's say the world but north america for sure key issues working conditions pay of course mm -hmm. but a lot of it comes down to just the basic conditions of work because we know that all of these sectors are so strained mm -hmm. covid i, I really hate it. I've heard it again, post COVID coming out of COVID. We're still in COVID. We're still in all of the, <laughs> the circumstances still exist where these problems become worse. So yeah, as you said, nurses, teachers, uh, care workers, social work, you name it. These are all the professions that hold the rest of us up. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it did cause a bit of a week of chaos. I heard there was, you know, the, the normal story that comes out about, oh, the parents were so inconvenienced because they're, I think they put it like the COVID reared children or <laughs> the children who survived the COVID at home. They're at home and then they had to be back at home. Um, but that, that sort of bypasses the whole, most people in Quebec support this. Yeah. The coalition dev near to Quebec don't necessarily support it. Of course they don't because, mm -hmm. you know, some would say that's their job, but uh, yeah, if they, if, you know, focusing on healthcare for a minute. I'm sure you heard about them pulling an all-nighter to pass Bill 15 mm -hmm. Saturday morning at 5 a.m. Ram through, mm -hmm. shutting debate down. So it's really important that they get this thing done. Which uh, there wasn't anything oh. in it about pre preventing strikes, but it and it's fairly extensive, a 1,200-page bill. And but part of it does. It, it doesn't address any of the issues that are going on in Quebec healthcare. One of the key things was, was they want to have employee mobility, which mm. just means that they're going to move people around. There's not, mm -hmm. there's, I don't think there's anything in it about hiring more people, which is a key problem. Mm -hmm. So, and the same with teachers, right? So these, these are the issues. It's not just people like, Oh, those greedy teachers, you always hear it. You're greedy teachers, eh, greedy, greedy healthcare workers. That's not, necessarily the case well to give you some idea the average salary of a member of a union part that's part of the common front is uh forty three thousand nine hundred and sixteen dollars that's you know the average and also interesting fact 80 percent of uh the membership of common front is women so mm -hmm. that that gives you idea of sort of what you know what what they're kind of stacked against that you know these aren't um Let's use an Ontario term, sunshine listers, although I kind of hate that term. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's, to me, it's kind of criminal that we try and criminalize paying people well. But um, but yeah, it, it's 
it's it, it it's exactly people you'd expect lab technicians uh janitorial like uh administrative folks like administrative assistants teachers uh teaching assistant early education workers you know a lot of the same types of workers what we you know here in ontario that we think about when we think about our public sector um and yeah they, you know they have concerns about job conditions they have concerns about salary uh a lot of the teachers are talking about not having the support they need in the classroom not like having too big a classroom to manage where have we heard that before and mm. you know it's it, you know it, there was a, a, a side story in the cbc this week tied to the um strikes that like 1500 quebec teachers like signed up for the same webinar about what to do um when you don't want to be a teacher anymore like what are your career prospects when you're just, like sick of being a teacher or to be more precise sick of putting up with the politics of being a teacher um so yeah i mean does that sound good taking 1500 teachers out of the system um because you know they're fed up and you know we've seen this push and pull for years and in, in ontario we're kind of in a kind of steady place right now um with with teachers but i mean for the longest time there was this yin yang cycle of like uh we're cutting back teachers then you have a bunch of like teachers that can't get work and then you know a bunch of teachers retire or get sick of the uh the bs and the politics and pull out and all of a sudden we have a lack of teachers and we you know shove as many kids into teachers college as we can and then they all emerge and we don't have jobs for them because we're we're now in in another austerity cycle so it's um it's not great when you have this kind of disruption um when you're you know you, you use the the term of a personnel movement and it's like is, is that all we have it's just we're gonna you know today you're a janitor and maybe tomorrow you're you know um an admin assistant or you know that that's not great for morale either where you show up to work and you don't know what you're going to be doing from one, one day to the other. So it's, it's tricky. And and with teachers in Quebec, like mm. if I understand it right, the, a lot of the, they do an internship, I guess they do the same in Ontario too, but they, I, mm. I heard them talking to one of the interns saying, well, at one point we weren't paid. Now we're just underpaid. So they get some amount of money. So, I mean, if that's, if that's the incentive, like you're, trying to get into this career and they're not going to pay or they're going to or at all or very weekly weekly <laughs> <laughs> i need to go back to school <laughs> if the yeah. pay is weak then uh it's just it's th there's no incentive to join and the yeah. same it's similar with nurses like they have the if i understand it right as well the the nurses in quebec have the lowest starting salary in canada I mean, does that speak to what you were saying about it being mostly women? I think in some ways it does. Oh, for sure. It's systemic. But, but yeah, it's, you know, for some strange reason we, we have this and it's not just an Ontario thing. I think it's a, it's a Western thing where we, we, we value teachers with one side of our mouth and we, uh, we don't value them with the other, um, you know, they get summers off, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but First of all, I, I think we can both be forgiven for any lapses in, you know, mental acuity. It's the last show before Christmas, so. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's but, right. But, but I mean, the, the thing is here, and we've kind of seen this playbook, no matter what the strike is, whether we're talking about the auto workers in the States, 
like the Hollywood unions, there is this strategy. It's like, we'll wait them out. We'll wait them out. We'll wait them out. <laughs> and it turns out solidarity is forever. And, you know, the, the manager, the management side ends up caving. And we saw that in the Hollywood strikes five months on the line. And then, you know, we're not going to do it. We're going to make sure all the writers lose their houses. And then we'll bring them back to the table and give them what, what we want to give them. And it turns out like, they get, but they pretty much cave to the writers on on everything. It's mostly true too for like the UAW and um, the auto worker strikes in the states. Is you know uh, they held out, they held out for a better deal, they got it. What is the Quebec government thinking? You know, you're <laughs> passing bills in the middle of the night to try and you know get back to work legislation, and meanwhile you're you're keep keep giving them deals where you're not dealing with their concerns or you get proposals where you're not dealing with their concerns and they throw it away. And it's like, like, no, give us a better deal. Like instead of doing this, I think this is a literal quote from one of the, uh, the common front reps. It's like, don't do this drive by stuff where you like come to the table and say, here's our new deal. See you later. Like sit down and negotiate. It seems to be like, it's only at a point where management says, we're going to stop playing games and have like an honest to goodness. And we're going to sit here and we're going to negotiate until it's done that this gets resolved. Unfortunately, it seems to take weeks and weeks and weeks to get management to that point. The lesson still hasn't been learned that um, the, the workers seem to be in the catbird seat, given the current political climate. But if, I mean, philosophically, this is a conservative government. Sure. They're, they're not, called conservative in name but let's call them the caq is conservative with uh um quebec characteristics let's say right <laughs> philosophically they're aligned with ford and i mean you name it the, the yeah. play the playbook is identical right it's like yeah ah, here we go this is your best offer or whatever yeah the resistance and i think yeah. it's it's in terms of cash it's, it's precisely half of what they're asking something like that yeah. but as i said um money isn't the key thing but of course with inflation and all of the other pressures, that is a big thing. I mean, you, you, there are people working these jobs, second job. It used to be that was, you'd be solid, you were solid if that was your career, right? Yeah. Second yeah. job, food bank, a lot of them going to the US, yeah. particularly with nurses to work yeah. in the private system. Yeah. A lot of them coming to Ontario. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know what the level of that is. Like, is it a, is there a poaching going on? I would imagine so. Mm -hmm. so they're being forced to do that as well like the hand just is just continuously forced and they've had enough mm. uh yeah we'll have to leave that there i mean i'm sure there's gonna be still a lot of uh <laughs> meat on this bone after the new year but uh speaking of the resistance we now have to go to saskatchewan where uh scott mo uh you know he brought up special session of uh the saskatchewan legislature at the end of the summer to pass with the notwithstanding clause, this pronoun law that says that young people 16 and under uh, have to have parental permission if they want to go by a different name or change their preferred pronouns. Um, a lot of people are seeing this as an attack on the rights of uh, queer kids, trans kids, uh, and understandably so. But what's more, kind of even more galling is that uh, an access to information request has revealed that this policy was developed after feedback with 18 whole people. Now, I know Saskatchewan <laughs> isn't one of the most populous provinces in the country, but I got to tell you, uh, I don't think even in uh, some small towns in the Northwest Territories are going to be making policy based on the input of 18 people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was at the grocery store and I talked to thousands of people. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I mean, essentially, of, the, 
that like the, the NDP education critic who, whose name is perfect for this issue. His name is Matt Love. Um, <laughs> you know, he basically said that, that, you know, how many people at the grocery store did they talk to? Like, you don't make, you don't base policy based on conversations you had with people at the grocery store, but there you go. Definitely doesn't make good policy. Yeah, there was 18 official letters and some of them parroted each other. So, you know, you kind of wonder yeah. how is it really somebody's opinion or is it, is it like a, an orchestrated effort? And the, they said they got thousands of emails as well, but it sounds like, and this is where the real influence or attempted influence is coming from a group called Action for Canada, mm -hmm. which you've probably heard the name. Mm -hmm. It's a, 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 let's call them a Christian activist group. So it's probably just, you know, click here for this form and send it in. So and, and no, no mention of that. Right. So, but it, it, this all surfacing came out. Now these, these folks are, can we call them COVID aligned? I, I hate to say it and it's going to screw up my algorithm, but I looked at their website <laughs> and it's beyond this issue. It's also the usual stop mass immigration. They, <laughs> they it kind of paired to Trump's recent, recent speech about the, about everything that he says, put it that way. But they only they they're, they're okay with refugees as long as they're uh, Christians and Jews that are fleeing persecution. Mm -hmm. A talk with Arthur Pulowski, so we know where this is going. A link for the Druthers <laughs> paper. That's 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 where these and this is direct. I saw it with my own eyes. I'm gonna have to rinse them out. <laughs> you know the the Marxists are in control of everything. I mean, so that's that's where this is coming from. Do you base human rights policy? on on this should people with certain ideologies be the uh steer the social policy just mm -hmm. no yeah and in my world particularly religious like this when mm. when they're fundamentalists essentially mm. and some of the letters too were interesting i saw there was one said if you're if you've if you're going to teach about the gays you have to teach you know we have to have a white day and we have to have an irish day Mm. It's like, do you not know there is an Irish day already? Like, <laughs> do you get out much? Like, there are, there is an Irish day, and some would argue that every day that's not a specific day is White Day. Mm. Uh, and morons are allowed their opinions as well, right? That's these are on the record now, so it just makes it that all all the more funny. There was one line I I picked out. Um, it's okay to be proud of being LGBT plus, but not of being straight. I guess that's rhetorical. Um, mm. But but I mean this right. this is kind of, this is kind of the thing that, um, and I heard this a lot at the one million mark for children in our neck of the woods. Like you know, well we have Gay Pride Day, like but we don't celebrate straightness. It's like well, nobody's trying to kill you for being straight. You know, mm. nobody's trying to kill you for. You know, nobody sees a a heteronormative couple walking down the street and think, "I'd like to kill them," because they're, they're like, "How dare they rub their 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 being straight in a relationship in my face?" Like nobody's nobody sees a player at the club like talking to ten women at ten women at once and going, "Oh boy, I'd like to kill that guy." But like, it's it's so silly. Mm -hmm. Um, and this I got this from a uh op-ed in the Regina paper, um some notes that you know might indicate why this pronoun bill is probably not the greatest thing in the world for Saskatchewan highest rate of intimate partner violence in Canada in Saskatchewan uh highest um 
rate of murder, second worst for sexual assault, highest for suicide, highest for STDs, highest for HIV transmission, and highest for teen pregnancy. It's like, you think you maybe have wow. some sex education issues in Saskatchewan that, you know, maybe having a better understanding of, you know, uh, gender identity and, you know, sexual education might fix. And here's the other thing, too. And I mean, it, it shows kind of like how silly... I hate to say silly because it's not silly. The people are taking this deeply, deeply, deeply seriously. But there's another quote that that was quoted in a CBC article: "Stop the radical, evil indoctrination of sexual orientation and gender identity," which is Sochi, which is the name of like an official education program developed for Alberta and British Columbia schools by a, a nonprofit. Um, the education package is called SOGI, Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity, but it's become like CRT. It's become the cudgel mm -hmm. for these groups. Everything is SOGI, even if we don't have the actual official SOGI program, but that's what it's getting tagged as. And, but, but I mean, it's, it's become that equivalent of, you know, what happened in the States a couple of years ago. Everything's CRT. It's like, I don't want my kids learning CRT. Okay. What is CRT? I don't know, but I hate it. I think that's the same mm -hmm. thing with SOGI that it's, you know, um, there, there clearly is a, a disconnect. When you look at these figures, the like intimate partner violence, you know, a lot of, a lot of violence against queer people, um, sec high rates of sexual assault, high rates of suicide. It's like, well, this is kind of the thing that kind of more broad, inclusive education is supposed to, you know, advance. So, I mean, is this pronoun law going to have any impact on those numbers? Probably not, but because. Scott Moe is reactionary and, um, you know, he didn't like being told by a liberal court what is and isn't hmm. constitutional. He he went with this, which isn't going to help anybody in his province and isn't going to help his province tackle any of those like really kind of disastrous numbers. I can't think of any premier that want to be first in suicides, but there you go. Yeah. And shorthand is always easy, right? Yeah. It's easy just to, it's, it's also really easy to call people by their chosen pronouns right well we do it every day i mean you know, absolutely you, you go by scotty not scott you know <laughs> it's you know you chose a name for yourself and that yeah and that was the name that was given to me so it's interesting if you call a kid by their nickname in school if it's if it's not a terrible one or do you have to phone ma and find out if that's okay i mean i went to school with I, a kid I named comey because he had hat head all the time like should mm. we call should we have called his mom? It's like you know everybody at school yeah. calls Andrew Comey. Is that okay? Like he doesn't seem to mind. And sorry, <laughs> we're not trying to belittle the situation either, but just right. we're yeah. speaking to the ridiculousness of it. Yeah. And I found out that they also supposedly spoke to an expert. Yeah. Whose name is Doctor <laughs> Eric Anderson, who is somebody one expert who is trans. <laughs> yeah. One expert who is trans. Hello. But they found the trans person that just happens to have an opinion that yeah. people shouldn't transition before a certain age. Now, yeah, first of off, yeah, no one's saying anything about transitioning. This is about calling people by something they're yeah. chosen. So it it goes from calling somebody a certain their chosen pronoun to yeah. they're going to transition. Who's to say that they don't? Right? Yeah. Right. And it was with um. I hate to admit to this too. It was a clip from Newsmax. Of course. Sean Spicer, right? So spicy, spicy trying to get the digs in at the end of this discussion. Amazing. Is the left pushing an agenda and the, and the, the leftist media. So it went to that place immediately. Of course. After this person 
this expert had spoken and and <laughs> they kind of actually soft paddled it. Notice I said they there. They paddled it back there. See mm. how easy that was to call them that? Yeah. <laughs> but interestingly, too, coming out this week, that in, and I didn't see it at all. I just saw the headline, Rex Murphy and Polyev doing the sit-down. Oh, yeah. He is doubling, tripling down on parental rights, parental rights. So he if you're sure looking is. for the code in this, parental rights equals you have a problem with this community. And I would we'll add... Stop. Yeah, no, it, it, it's so true. And it's like, do we, do we really want to go down the path of the United States? Like, I saw an article on the Daily Beast today, like in... Uh, if this was in Massachusetts of all cockamamie places, but you know, somebody called the police, uh, after reporting that a student, and I think this was like a middle school, uh, had a copy of gender queer, um, which is like this memoir about someone discovering their queer identity. Um, but essentially like the police were called and went into this classroom and searched all the book bags to find the copy of this gender queer because of quote unquote sexually explicit material. It's like, oh. is that the world we want to live in where somebody calls the police to search like kids' bags for books? Like, come on, come on. Yeah. Uh, the dystopia is becoming very, very real. Yeah. And if we're not careful, like be the same. We're seeing aspects of it up here, obviously <laughs> in places like Saskatchewan, but yeah, nothing against people of Saskatchewan directly either. I mean, it's not everyone, obviously, but when you you were talking about those stats earlier, I mean, that's very that's very telling. Yeah, that there's there's systemic problems in the system, and it isn't with Marxists or people who want to decide what their what their pronouns are. Yeah, it's time. When for I say Hank. people, I mean young people, right? Yeah, yeah. It's time for Hank Hill to go fishing. Um, oh. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come right back with our interview with Floyd Longfield. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. So, well over 50 years ago now, dodging the tax man in Britain. Oh, yeah. And with a heavy-duty heroin habit, Keith Richards sat down one afternoon and wrote the song you just heard. It's called Happy. Not only is he singing, he played it. It's the only one that he sings lead on, the Rolling Stones, that became a hit song. And amazingly, all of these years later, he's still going. Yeah. So happy birthday to Keith Richards for just being a survivor, 80 years young. Yeah, he'll be the last one. He'll be the last one to go. Mark my words. Oh, and I think when he does go, it's going to be like one of those disturbance in the forest things, right? Oh, no, it's he's going to be. He's going to disintegrate when he dies. Like he's going to die and he's going to disintegrate yeah. like Return of the Jedi. It's. Yeah, because. <laughs> They found that uh, tapestry from the 13th century with his picture in it. So yeah, there's there's more going on than just right. <laughs> That's gonna he's gonna be he's eventually gonna get to the point where it's like okay, I'm done. Let, let, show it to me, and somebody will take the curtain off the portrait and he'll look at it and just dissolve. Um, he shall rise again. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that was your literary reference to the portrait of Dorian Gray. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, can't think of a segue, but we're going to talk to Lloyd Longfield now. Um, Lloyd Longfield, who lives cleanly, he gives blood, he's bike riding, so he's <laughs> the complete antithesis to Keith Richards. Plays trombone. He does play trombone. Yeah, um, that's true. Um. Anyway, uh, we talked to Lloyd Longfield. Uh, it's about the end of the year stuff. Uh, it's been a pretty busy year, so we're going to talk about carbon pricing. We're going to talk about housing. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, people wallpapering his office with posters to call for a ceasefire and uh, all that stuff working for War and Peace uh, in Ottawa. It's also his, he officially announced he's stepping down at the end of this term, so we talk about that a little. Anyway. Uh, I'm going to throw it to Lloyd and our interview uh, starting right now. We're going to press play on that right now. Okay, Lloyd Longfield, thank you for joining us again. Adam Donaldson, it's great to be virtual with you. Too bad that we aren't uh, up at uh, the center in the university. Yes, one of these. That's one of my New Year's resolutions is to try and do more st in-person stuff. But we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, no, we're not out of the woods. Far from it. No, we're not out of the woods. And being lazy as I am opening up the computer and clicking play is uh is right up my alley but anyway we're not here to talk about me um i'm gonna phrase this first question as something i'm sure you're gonna hear a lot as you're out and about here in the writing over the break mm -hmm. um but you know can you explain you know to people who are gonna ask you know what has the canadian government the federal government done for affordability this year that is is gonna help people out you know what 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 difference can you point to that people are going to see in their pocketbooks, whether that's, you know, it right now or in the new year? I think the, the two immediate ones that we're working on, uh, one that people see every week when they go grocery shopping is to try and get the price of groceries stabilized and then decreasing. I've noticed my bill going down in the last month or so. I'm hoping that's a sign of things to come. Um, we are working with the retailers to say, uh, you're making a lot of profit and we need to make sure that uh, Canadians can afford to, to eat and you have to do your part to um, keep the prices within, within their control, uh, the prices manageable. Now, we do have things like the war in Russia that's impacting food prices, uh, climate change, mm. droughts popping up in places where we normally get our, food, our fruits and vegetables. So there are things other than, other than profits that are driving up food prices, but we are working with grocery chains and we're actually trying to get a new grocery chain into Canada from another country um, to introduce more competition into the market. So we did finally get our competition act through. We were blocked by the conservatives for about two and a half months, uh, which is really frustrating when you know people need help now. Um, so there's the food piece that we're working on. Uh, the, Price of housing, of course, is one that's that's front and center. And uh, excited to see the the new uh, program around the wartime house houses type program. Later on today, I'm going to be visiting a modular home builder in Guelph mm. to look at what can we do to get construction prices down. How do we get more supply into the market? And more supply means. Uh, bringing prices down as well because there's more competition in the market for for houses. We've introduced um, 
offshore ownership rules where people can't speculate on properties from offshore and uh, we've taken away the uh, the uh, bidding situation that we had where um, people were getting kept out of the market by bidding and bidding quite often by speculators or people that are buying multiple properties. Um, also working on the the, um, the the short stay, um, the short stay uh, uh, use of houses, so that we can try and get those houses back out onto the market. Mm. Uh, so quite a few things on the housing front. Uh, the whole spectrum of housing, of course, from working on homelessness through to shelters and then supportive housing, housing for seniors. And we've got the Silver Maples project here as an example. We've got a few projects coming up in the new year that are pretty exciting already uh, through city council. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully we'll see more of those. And as the price of interest, the, the interest rates should be starting to come down. Right. I think we're seeing those signals coming from the Bank of Canada. They've, they haven't increased. Uh, the American uh, Federal Reserve is dropping prices sometime early next year, and we're hoping to see uh, the interest rates come down, which will also help with affordability, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, modular homes. Uh, just so I'm clear, maybe other people are clear here. These are houses that are essentially put together like at a factory and then shipped and then taken to a lot. And then the, the, the pieces of the house are put together. So it's kind of like a, a housing kit kind of. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's applying manufacturing techniques to home building where if you look at job sites and you're looking for boards or you're looking for hardware, um, a lot of time is spent just sourcing the stuff that's already on site where a modular home comes in and then you follow the kind of just in time uh, principles that you have in manufacturing that the, the walls are there when they need to be there and then the plumbing comes when it needs to be there and electrical follows. So um, it by having more efficiency on the, the, the construction site, you can reduce the cost of construction as well because you're not spending a lot of your time and money looking for stuff that's there. And um, I, I've actually been inside a modular home that was like built on, on a site here in Guelph. And uh, you can't really tell the difference, like just from the street front, no. what, what was sort of built on site and what, what one is a modular home. You might be surprised. Yeah, I think when you, well, those of us that were were around in the 70s think of the <laughs> modular homes being boxes stacked on top of each other, and we've come a long way from that. Yeah, yeah, we have. Um, the other piece of this I, I want, wanted to ask you about, um, you, you, we were talking before about uh, all the meetings I go to, one of the meetings I went to, Social Services Committee, uh, Sanguine Health Fan, uh, the team from that was at the meeting couple of months ago looking for ongoing funds to continue their good work um it, it occurred to me that there does seem to be kind of a problem and you know this is isn't necessarily a slight against the government but there's been lots of money available for pilot projects like the sanguine health van they go out into the community do great work establish themselves make themselves essential to to people who are facing poverty and homelessness and then their seed money runs out and they have trouble finding more sustainable funding so I guess the question is, um, is, is there not a way, and I realize, you know, government can't write a blank check, but um, could, could the government be doing more to sort of help make sure that these companies can be financially sustainable in the long term, if not giving them 
more money than perhaps like giving them the tools where they're able to find things. I mean, you you hear and you probably hear this all the time. So much of the time of staff from nonprofits is searching for funding to keep the doors open. Yeah, and I've I've worked in that space myself, and I've been on boards of many not for profits and charities in Guelph. And um, yeah, sustainability is always is always front and center. Um, and in fact, the uh, government funding as a as a portion of what you you fund yourself with is always is always uh, something that is a risk because as governments change that funding can go away so there mm -hmm. is a, a need for having sustainable sources of funding but government needs to be one of those sources for sure um, i've looked at the safe injection site and worked with the partners there with stonehenge the community health center mm -hmm. and um, and windham house and they've had increased funding over the last three years from the federal government and you know, the the last round of funding is going to be running out next March. So what I'm advocating in the background is to try to continue to have that bridge funding in place until the province can pick up on providing this kind of service. And um, because the, the need is increasing, um, the funding needs to try to keep up with the need and it isn't keeping up with the need as, as more and more people find themselves um, in mental health and addictions crisis. Um, the $200 billion that we've put on the table from the federal government to go to the province, provinces and territories for healthcare needs to be allocated to um, mental health and addictions as well as other healthcare services. So we've signaled... We've singled out mental health and addictions as something that we need to have the provinces really take the lead on um, because constitutionally that's their space, not the federal government space, but we are providing the funding so that they can do that. So we are still trying to get um, the details from the province of Ontario to find out how they're going to be spending the money that they're receiving from the federal government. I understand we're getting closer to that, but we... Okay. We hope to see things like the, the the van you're talking about to be uh, to be uh, included in the, the 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 spend that they get as a result of the money they've received from the federal government. Mm hmm. So it's you know you don't want to necessarily bring into politics into something like this that's so important, but I mean the, this this lag. I mean I can't even remember when that money was announced. The two hundred million it is. You know what? What's the what's the holdup? I guess. Well, we've asked. It was back in May or June, okay. so it was six months ago. Um, mm -hmm. Some provinces have come back with plans; they're executing on the plans. Um, Ontario isn't there yet, and okay. uh, you know, so we are continuing discussions. We, I know, Minister Freeland met with the the provincial health ministers last last week again um, we are trying to make sure they understand this isn't just an exercise it's actually people that are in need and there's emergency rooms that are in need and right. and uh, we have to get that money flowing and it shouldn't be political okay well i want to bring this back around to politics for, for a second um you know and i know it was a pretty bad year in, in terms of the climate fight, it was incredibly hot. There were the wildfires all across yep. the country. And then the prime minister decides that he's going to pause 
carbon pricing on home heating oil. And, you know, we can talk about the the economics of that, the, the pocketbook economics of that. But I, I one of the things I we've talked about on the show here is it's opened the door to people who want to blame the carbon tax for the affordability crisis or that just disagree with it as a as a matter of principle. I'm wondering how much of that is going to be short-term gain for long-term pain? And is that a concern when you and other members are are chatting around the water cooler that maybe um, this is going to hurt you politically and hurt the environment in, in the long run? Yeah. Well, I, I sit on the environment committee, so uh, we have water cooler talks, but we also have <laughs> organized talks about uh, price on pollution as part of our climate change strategy. We had the Commissioner of the Environment and Sustainability in our committee last month uh, talking about his latest report, and part of that report shows that we are on a, on a good trajectory on reducing emissions, and 30% of our reductions is coming as a result of our, our price on pollution. So it's a key part of our strategy. Um, the concern is that once you've given a break to one certain very narrow sector that opens a Pandora's box. What about me? What about me? And we're seeing that in the House of Commons being used politically against us. The The pause is really focused on getting uh, heat pumps into small communities or even residences in rural Canada that where we don't have other programs to make uh, that conversion uh, easier for them to do. So it was a, a long discussion that we had before we opened that door. And it mm. is for all home heating oil across Canada. It's not mm. just Atlantic Canada, although it started right. in Atlantic Canada. It's home heating oil is one of the highest emitters in terms of uh, emissions per, per calorie of heat. <laughs> so we know it's an area that has to be attacked. It's also very sparse in terms of pockets here and there so it attacking it is affordable uh, provided it's there's a runway to say you've got three years so work out your personal budget access the funds from the federal government we're hoping to access funds from provincial governments which in atlantic canada we do have provincial governments coming to the table to kick in um, the rest of the conversion costs so people can actually do the conversion uh, without dipping into their own savings. We're hoping the similar programs will happen in Ontario and, and, and some of the other provinces that aren't, aren't at the table. But as it is, you can get 50% off your conversion to, to um, uh, get, get off home heating oil. And uh, so it's very specific of what we're doing and, and very targeted and time limited. Um, so that we can keep on the trajectory we're on where we are ahead of our, our 2030 targets right now. We want to make sure we, we stay that way. Right. Uh, moving into something a little bit more sensitive, and I, I know you've kind of seen it firsthand, uh, some very concerned uh, residents uh, wallpapered your office with uh, reminders, but the, um, the Israel-Hamas war, I think that there are a lot of... People, especially young people in our community, that are concerned about where our where the government stands. Um, have you had a chance to interact with anyone from like showing up Guelph or anyone who who is concerned that um, 
our government may per- may be perceived to be writing off um, the, the lives of Palestinians. People are concerned about that. No, I've I've met with um, people from the mosque. I've met with uh, people from the synagogue, and in fact, last night I had a follow up meeting with uh, the people from the synagogue. Um, I have had phone conversations with with people that are. Um, that are protesting on the streets. I do have a, a, a meeting coming up with them as well. Okay. Um, and trying to do that, well, you know, I've, <laughs> I'm not in Guelph very much, and especially in the last five weeks, I've been pretty well in Ottawa focused on getting our, our agenda through, um, our, our legislative agenda through there. Um, but yes, I have been speaking with the groups and, and really the uh, the early conversations were around uh, my um, my concerns about racism in, on either side coming up in the community. Uh, Canada is a convening power, and so another point I was making was once we take a side in this, we're no longer a convening power. Right. Uh, that we want to get to a two state solution, and to do that, we have to get the the Palestinians, Palestinians, and the Arab states at the same table as the as Israel and and Jewish people. The human rights violations in that war, which are being seen on 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 all sides, um, are unacceptable to Canadians, and and I get that. Uh, but to get beyond a ceasefire without a political solution to make it sustainable is um really you have to work both of those things at the same time because the day after a ceasefire what are you going to see um likely ceasefires being broken and likely mm. no progress so the simple answer is why doesn't everybody put down their guns right. um the uh, the more complex answer is how do we get to the point where where people are not using their guns to kill innocents. In, so trying to get the humanitarian aid, which we were able to do through a pause uh, for a period, and we were really one of the lead countries advocating for a pause, uh, gave us at least the goal of getting some humanitarian aid through. Mm. Not enough, but right. we do see in the last few days more humanitarian aid coming. The concern we have as a government but also i have personally is that um the israeli government is is not wanting to talk about a two-state solution and i think the uh, the world the the pressure from the world is going to be to say to to israel your government needs to start talking about a two-state solution and that's not that's not the Beth Isaiah Synagogue in Guelph and the Muslim Society in Guelph. It's 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 an issue that needs to be handled through international diplomacy and on the ground uh, in that region. So Canada's working with the you know Qatar and Egypt and Jordan and others around the around there, the neighboring countries, to try and um, to try and get them to help 
with the diplomatic efforts that we're pushing for, including as well getting the hostages released and getting any Canadians that are in that area out. Right. Um, and being the Canadian government, we're focused on trying to get Canadians to safety. To safety. My office has been involved with some of those conversations with local families as well who have who have relatives in the region. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on, and I'm just trying to find a way to get people to put their guns down, as you said. And uh, part of this, too, is, um, I I guess, the question of how much of petitioning to have a ceasefire kind of falls on deaf ears because, you know, Hamas doesn't have sort of formal diplomatic staff. And you certainly... No, you've got a terrorist organization on one side, and people will argue argue whether it's a terrorist organization, but it has been defined that way yeah. internationally. And then you've got a government that's unwilling to talk on the other side. So it's definitely a, a very complicated situation. The protests in shopping malls in Guelph, the protests on the streets in Guelph, I've talked to high schoolers, I've been in high schools, I've talked to Jewish students who are really feeling threatened. I've also talked to Jewish students at the university. They're also being threatened and staff uh, that, that feel like they're going into an unsafe place because mm. of the, the, the volume and the, the loudness of the protests right. that are going on. And um, that's unacceptable in Guelph. People, you know, the human rights are human rights, uh, that people should feel safe to be able to to go to school, to go to worship, to, to walk on the streets, to go shopping, and shouldn't need to be feeling like they're being... Um, they're being painted with a, a brush of uh, you're killing babies. Uh, you know they're going about their their days the same as as other people in Guelph are, and it's you know the conversation in Guelph has to get to a better place than using megaphones. And in my office, using megaphones, and when we're trying to serve, there is a an elderly lady trying to get some customs things done, some uh, some. Um, uh, passport services and uh, i thought her rights are also need need to be respected in all of this so um right. it's uh, there's a way to protest and the, they're you know going into into offices or private venues i was at a private venue where i was the protesters came in and disrupted the venue as well and mm. um, as an mp i've got community work that i need to continue to do without uh, feeling like the people that i'm trying to serve are going to be feeling threatened because I'm in the room. Well, I mean, that's why I kind of asked the question, have you been in touch with them? Because I, I think this is one of those things where people want mm-hmm. to feel like they're being heard and yeah. protest is well, often an expression of feeling like you're not being heard. Yeah, and the protesters that were in my office when I was in Ottawa, I asked if I could get their contact information and they wouldn't give it. And I asked for their email and information so at least I could reach out and get an email dialogue and they wouldn't give that either. Uh, they didn't want to be identified. Uh, that wasn't, and that's consistent with the protest that's happening across Canada. They have a manual to use, and um, I mean, they did come into my office to scope it out. We saw it on our on our security tapes in the morning, and we know who they they are. And then they came in the afternoon with with masks on and and uh, not wanting to engage with me when I was trying to engage with them. And then that's part of it too to say, well, my MP isn't calling me. Well, could you give me your phone number? Or could you phone me? And that's not happening. So okay. um, that's that's just not acceptable. I mean, protest, you need to have some kind of a dialogue. But, but right. that includes telling me who you are so I can talk to you. Okay. Um, 
So maybe to wrap up for anyone who, I mean, uh, one one day is kind of a year now, but uh, you you did announce that you will not stand for re-election at the end of this uh, term of of parliament. Um, yeah. That means that um, you are probably thinking about everything you want to do before the next election is called. So uh, what's on that bucket list? Yeah, well, I think you know, what we've done around uh, poverty reduction in Guelph, um, things like the $10 a day childcare, um, we've got uh, the dental care now coming through and working with dental care with seniors. Um, I see you know, getting the, the supports in place, social supports that we did on an emergency basis through COVID. I would like to see some of those supports becoming more, more permanent. The uh, the work on housing is 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 one that you can drive down the street and and point to things and say that was a good one that was a good one we have a few more that I'd like to see come across on on housing the climate change progress is there um, more and faster would be would be where I'd be heading with that conversation I'd like to see you know more options for heating in Guelph and uh, you know whether that includes district energy but in in, in including um, you know, some of the, the, the combined heat and power solutions that uh, are being used in other parts of the world. So I'd like to see, you know, faster progress on some of the climate change uh, initiatives. And sitting on the Environment Committee has really given me a front row seat on what we're doing there. We're also working on biodiversity and water. Water. Um, uh, we're doing a study on water right now, which, of course, in Guelph is, is very important given that yep. we're groundwater fed. So yep. I've got at least two years of work ahead of me. And then I would like to see after those two years, how can I continue to be engaged? Because I was engaged before politics and I hope to still be engaged after politics. And I hope to get a, a really good candidate identified and, and out there and make sure that uh, Guelph is following the, the values of the Liberal Party. But uh, that's always up to Guelphites. I was going to say anyone you want to endorse? <laughs> no, can't do that now, but we have had one candidate announced so far, and uh, hopefully there will be some more coming, and hopefully there will be a nomination sometime in the in the early to mid-new year. All right. I thought I'd ask, but uh, Lloyd Longfield, you always take the questions, so we appreciate that. Thank you for your time, and, and happy holidays to you and your family. Thanks, Adam. Happy holidays and a peaceful new year. Okay, so that was uh, Lloyd Longfield. Uh, hopefully not for the last time, although who knows what 2024 will bring. Um, <laughs> we'll see, right? I mean, it'd be funny if we just came back and there was a confidence vote and Jagmeet Singh says, I give up and Parliament dissolves and then we're having an election in February. But, I mean, stranger things have happened. <laughs> I feel we're going to be busy either way. Just, I can sense it. Oh. 2024, yeah. you're the busy. We we have a prediction from Madam Scotty's crystal ball. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm usually wrong, so Hurts grain of salt it, will you? Yes. All right, all right, fair enough. Um, either way, that's uh, the end of this week's show. We hope you liked it. You can listen to our show again by downloading it every Monday from our website, opensourcesguelph.com, from the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean, or your favorite app like Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can stay connected to us on social media, on Facebook at Credits Newswire, and on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. I will be back on CFRU Wednesday at 3 p.m. for the movie review show that I co-host called End Credits. We're doing the top five this week, so stay tuned for that. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, 
or go to my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Twitter, and Blue Sky. And if you're joining us at our regular time, please stay tuned for Turtle Island Underground at 6 p.m. And also, happy holidays to everyone, however you choose to celebrate them. Mm -hmm. May the best of the season be yours. Uh, I ditto that. Thank you. And uh, thank you, Scotty. Thank you, everyone. Merry Christmas to all those who celebrate or just happy winter break to everyone who is non-denominational. You will be able to hear many great programs over the break here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. This show, although we will not be here, we will be still presenting a new episode, our annual movie uh, show, our political movie show which comes out next week, the Thursday at 5 p.m. And you will keep tuning into Open Sources over the holidays, and we will see you then.